Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, sis. Maybe see the family. Man, a lot of cool things going on today. And let me, uh, let's pray together and let's uh, continue to prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, we ask that your holy word would go forth. We pray that you would speak through me. We ask that you would uh, be gracious in that. Take away pride or whatever desires I have. And we do ask that you would be teaching your people. We ask that you would give us grace to want to know what you have to say, uh, to be excited to enter into your, your, your word, and that you would give us revelation, Jesus. Be exalted, Lord. Help us understand more of your love, more of what you've done to maximize your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Fam, we are in uh, 2 Thessalonians. If you are a visitor, what we do in this local community is we go through books of the Bible. Uh, You can go online and see all the different (laughs) books we've gone through. Right now, we're in 2 Thessalonians. We took a short break uh, during uh, the Easter season, during the season of Lent, uh, to focus more in on on, uh, specifically the gospel and leading up to what was happening with our our great Savior, Jesus Christ. But now we are back in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Specifically, we are in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So if you have Bibles in front of you, if you have Bibles, uh, that you brought, or if you have your phones with the Bible on it, I know how it is, just don't be texting, but make sure uh, it's the word, uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. We're going to jump right in, you're on a moving train if you're a visitor, hopefully you can listen to other sermons online, uh, but I'm I'm convinced uh, God's word is awesome, so uh, hopefully you'll be encouraged uh, by what the Lord has to say even today. We'll jump right in. So Thessalonians is a very interesting book. If I mean, so uh, just to give you a snapshot, uh, both books are 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 based in the fact uh, that the people of God, uh, the, Thessal- the, the Thessalonians themselves, were under persecution. When Paul preached to uh, the Thessalonians, he 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 was bringing the word. Um, he he got to the point where he got thrown out of the city, uh, got persecuted. They did not want him to come back. Um, Probably would have killed him. Uh, there was, imagine that he was beaten to a pulp uh, when he was there. Uh, he leaves. He's he's nervous about these new Christians. Uh, he they probably had been Christians, uh, you know, at, at best a few months. So I was going to set this. I mean, I know many of us know this at MacAv, but I was going to set the stage for all of us here. So imagine this: you've preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit allows these people to be saved. Uh, they, they, they walk with the Lord. He's kind of discipling these people. Then there's persecution uh, 
physical violence even, uh, where he leaves. Uh, but, th- but think about that. He leaves, he gets away, he can go preach the gospel in other places, as it were, but now these people have to, they're remaining there. The, the individuals who are now proclaiming and professing Christ are still there. And so a couple of things probably is going through his head as a leader uh, and as a minister of the gospel is first, did it stick? Right. So our people, you know, as soon as I leave and things start to happen, you know, maybe family members get fired from jobs. Maybe individuals experience physical harm themselves. Maybe there's threats where people say, you know what, I thought this would be OK, but this is kind of crazy. So we're going to stop this Christianity thing. Um, so he's wondering, will it stick? He's wondering, are they going to experience the same pain and persecution and physical issues that I experienced? So there's probably a lot going through his head. And think about it. They've only been in the faith a few months at best. All right. At best. And so, so when we looked at 1 Thessalonians, he's writing to encourage these guys. He's, he's really doing something that we all need, right? He's, he's telling them, like, hey, no matter if, even if it costs you your life, walk with God. Enjoy Christ. Because this is not a hobby in here, family. We know that, right? We don't, we don't do, this is not just about religiosity. We are here because the reality is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, validated himself as the king of the universe. And then saying, I'm the only way. You can experience and actually know what true life is, what true humanity is, by embracing my gift. So this is what he was hoping for. So the book has a tenor, 1 Thessalonians and even 2 Thessalonians has this tenor of reminding them of that reality in different ways so that they can handle things when the ground gets shaky. And so you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and most of the chapter is all about, you know, this bad theology, basically. I mean, it's a chapter about understanding what's going to happen with evil. It's about the devil and his works, the darkness of this world, the future culmination of, 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 of evil and the devil. And you think, man, with all this drama, how should this chapter end? That's what we've seen thus far. The man of lawlessness, right? Evil increasingly becoming more evil. How does this chapter end? I want to propose to you just to give you a snapshot. Verses probably 3 through 12 is, is, this, is all this, this bad doctrine that they were kind of hearing, and he's trying to clear it up. He's saying, you've heard some things about the day of the Lord. Let me clear it up for you. And so he brings them together, and he's trying to kind of extract that bad doctrine like a, a messed up tooth in your mouth or something. Let's take that out. And let me remind you of what's true. And so we're here, actually, in verse 13 through 17, where he's talking about what he wants to kind of place in, replace of that bad doctrine. Now, within the bad doctrine, what's interesting is it, it spoke to me as I was, as I was researching and just, just praying through this, this text here, family. Here is kind of bad information. But really, the context is like, what happens? What do you need to do, family? What do I need to do when we find ourselves... In any sense, in shaky ground. Like what happens when, man, when things just aren't going the way you think they should go? How do you handle when you, when you are on shaky ground? For these guys, he was encouraging them because the shaky ground was indeed this era of the day of the Lord, specifically in chapter 2. But I want you to be thinking about that as we go through this text. How do you handle instability in your life? What do you do? Where do you run? Right? Think about that. Because sadly, as a lot of us, what do we do? We, the world tells you to run to your material possessions. Right? The world tells you to run to your successes, to run to your, your strengths. Right? 
What do you do when instability hits? Look at what, look at what Paul says we should do. So remember, verses 3 through 12, he's sharing all this, this doctrine that's kind of shaky, that's kind of weird. And, and what he doesn't do when he says evil is going to increasingly get worse and, and man, and, and, and things are going to get crazy for the Christian. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, so guys, the world is crazy. It's really bad. And it's up to you as Christians to make it better. It's up, it's up to you now to, to, to make it happen. Right? We're supposed to be a light to the world, but don't get it twisted. This is not about us. He doesn't say that. What's interesting is what he does here. I'll just give it to you now. He, he puts the focus on God. Look at verse 13. This is how he wants them to regain their, their stability, their, their anchor. Verse 13 says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. This is interesting. He's just talked about all this stuff about the evil one, the man of lawlessness coming, the day of the Lord, all this stuff. And he says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Now, family, there's a lot of packed words here, and I don't want to get too academic, but I got to explain a few things uh, or we're going to be all over the place. All right. So the first thing, we look at this word beloved. Look what he does here. Now, I want you to keep in your mind. Think about it. He's trying to reestablish you and me. You're asking yourself, what do you do when things are unstable? He starts by saying, I want to give thanks to God for you. And he makes it really clear. You are loved. Right? Now, we talked about this during Easter, family. How do you know that God loves you? Right? Remember what we went through during Easter? The world wants you to measure love by wealth, right? You measure love by health he brings. Sometimes that's what we do, right? We think of the good stuff, and we, we, we determine that we are loved or therefore not loved based on what we get. But the Bible says something very, very different. The Bible says, no, Jesus is not a cosmic gift basket, right? That's not, that's not what this is about. But it says in John 3.16, this is, this is us recalibrating our minds of what God says is love. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then John 17.3 says, so, what, so God's love is this gift of eternal life. It says there in John 3.16, well, what, what do we mean by eternal life? What's the essence of eternal life? John 17.3 says that this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So it seems the way that the, the, the Father wants to de- demonstrate clearly his love for his people is by giving his people Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. So you go, why is that? Now here's what I want you to do. We, we're going to answer this in a moment. But think about that. Why? So we understand what he does. He gives us Jesus. He says, I love you. I want you to understand that the love I have for you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my son, Jesus. Why? Why does he do that? Store that in your heart. Keep that in your mind as you're thinking about stability. Think about how this text flows as you think about stability. So he loves us. He gives us his son. Then it says, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, right? So now you got, he loves you, but then he has, he chose you. He elected you. 
So this is how he begins things. God chose you, E, and then he says, and that's, that's a word for election. Now, this is, again, more doctrine, but stay with me here. I want to do a little training. So you guys have heard of the doctrine of election? Anybody heard that? That's cool, because that's why we're here. So here's what the doctrine of election is. Um, is those who freely, right, as it were, responsibility, come to God are those whom God has freely chosen. <laughs> you hear me? That God chooses you. He, he grabs you. That this isn't about you. You haven't determined this. We don't believe that in this local church. We believe that if it's up to you, you'll be dead as a doorknob, one way, take it to hell. <laughs> right? That you are evil. The Bible says that, you, that, that you're intended to do evil all the time. The Bible's about a good God and bad people. And that he's gracious to bring us into his, into his, into his presence. Election's hard to swallow. Let me just, let me, so you have election, but then you have this, uh, you have what you call, you've heard a term, predestination. I'm opening this up just to make sure that we're on the same page here, okay? So what predestination, if you ever hear that word, all right, I, I say stuff like that because I always try to validate some moments of why I went to seminary. So predestination is, is basically the eternal decree of what God is doing with his people, Okay? It's an eternal decree of what God is basically saying, hey, predestination says, here's what God is doing with all humans, all creation. Now, under predestination, they're not synonymous. Sometimes people make predestination and election synonymous. They're not. Because predestination is the overarching of what God does with all his people. Under that, you have election and you have reprobation. <laughs> this is the hard, hard, hard pill to swallow. May I just say this? I tell people all the time. In the Bible, there's things that are hard to understand, and then there's things that are hard to swallow. And what we do as a people is we mix up the two, right, and we go crazy. I want to encourage you, as you read your Bible, make sure you determine the difference between things that are hard to understand. And it's a little hard to understand, but, but it's, I would say even more hard to swallow. Because look what, look what it says in Romans chapter 9. The scriptures read, You will say to me then, this is verse 19. Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Talking about God. But who are you? Just talking about God here. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What will its molder say, molded say to its molder, right? He's the mold, molder, you're the molded. He's the creator, we are the created. Why have you made me like this, right? He says, how can you, me and you, say, God, how, why you make me like this? Has the potter... No right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Here's the thing. In, some, in one way, for whatever reason, God has made us and he's given some of us grace to actually know him. And some of us, he has not, oh, he has not taken the wool off their eyes and they won't know God. Everybody will not be Christians. That's hard to swallow. But I would be an unfaithful pastor if I didn't tell you that, that truth. Okay, but look what he says here. He says, verse 22, what if God desired to show his wrath and to make, his, to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. You see what he said there? It's hard to swallow, right? 
It's hard to swallow because we go, here's what happens. Which he says in verse 24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Guys, I didn't want to bring this up because it's a, it can come off as a Debbie Downer. But I don't propose it shouldn't, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Here's what's happening here. God is saying that what he's done is we, we, can't, we don't know why he's doing this, but what we know is that God, he makes people, and then there's some that he opens up their eyes. We're all headed for hell, and I would propose to you that the scandal is not that some people go to hell, which is a lot of times we think. The scandal is that anybody gets to go to heaven. So we should all be going, we should all be separated from God. And then God in his grace chooses to save what you would call his remnant, his chosen ones. And it says here, it's a display of actually God's grace and mercy as we see his vengeance poured out on those who don't know him. That's a hard thing to, to grasp. A lot of times what we will do is we will go and say, well, I, I don't want to believe that, but we all have problems. Free will, if you just think, no, I chose God, uh, or if you believe what I'm telling you right now, that actually God chose us, each and every one of us, and we had nothing to do, do with it, I would actually say the free will argument has way more problems. We won't get into that. You can like, email me or we can talk afterwards. But here's what, here's what I don't want to have happen as I bring up that reality. Um, I think when we, when we talk about this, we get caught up and we miss God's point in election. Here's what God is trying to communicate, I believe, as I read the scriptures about election. He is trying to strip you and me of our confidence and switch your confidence from yourself to God. That's the point of election. I don't think the point of election is for you to, uh, me to argue about and try to put demands on a holy, perfect God who created you, as he says. He's the molder. He's the molder. But what it's supposed to do is point to the fact that a gracious God who first loved me chose me. That, oh, I had absolutely nothing to do with this. That the grace God has given me is because he alone has been kind. That he alone is where my confidence lies. See, when, you, when we really digest, I've, I propose a, a healthy understanding of election and what God has done in electing and choosing you in this room right now and saying, I want you to be my people. I want to walk with you. I want to mold you. I want to love you and, and make you more like me. It should allow these toughest times that in your, your confidence is never in how much you are gripping God because you're feeble. You're weak. But what it does, it allows your confidence to be on the fact that he has his grip on me. Do you see the difference? It switches. It switches your confidence. Many times we're thinking, oh, things are going hard. Let me hold on to God versus praying, Lord, continue to hold on to me. Amen. Yep. It seems subtle, but it's drastic. He has laid hold on me. His hand is holding mine. It's, 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 it's anathema. It's, 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 it's arrogant and dumb to think you're just holding on to God. So, so he, he loves you. He, he's elect you family. And then it says, uh, as first fruits that we are saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief. And the whole concept of salvation. What do we mean? What are you, what are you saved from? Right? We just talked about it. You're saved from Satan, death, sin, and hell. 
that you and I, we deserve, we, we, we had audacity to think we could be our own gods, and, and, and we walked, and, and because of that, we were separated from God, and God could have destroyed us, he should have destroyed us, but the Bible says, praise God, he's rich in mercy. He has more mercy than what he could do with it. And he poured it out on you and me, and he said, I'm, instead of that one-way ticket, if you, if you humble yourself and realize you're not God and I'm God, he says, I will save you. I'll save you from Satan, from sin, from hell, from evil. I will actually remake you new as a new human, the Bible says. So God did. God chose to save them, right? Interesting here, the sanctification. Through sanctification, he saves them through making them more like himself by the spirit and belief and truth, the Bible says here. Sanctification, there's two nuances that I want to parse out here real quick. And I know this is getting a little academic. I know usually the sermons aren't like this, but it's so much theology here. I just mean, man, I don't want to stand before Jesus and be like, why you didn't tell him all that theology? You know what I'm saying? So got to give you what the, what the Lord gives us in the word here. And I want to propose that Paul knew what he was doing. He was trying to pack this thing because he knew that we needed this in order to be stable when things are shaky. So remember, beloved, you're chosen, you're saved, you're sanctified through, by the spirit and belief. Two things, sanctification, the lifelong process of becoming holy, right? The Lord is saying that in this, he, this is why I want to propose, look at this. He's saying sanctification by the spirit and, and faith in truth, like, like believing truth. I love in this text here, they're not distinct acts. They're not distinct acts in this text here. They actually flow with one another. You see that? That, that you, you believe the Holy Spirit sanctifies it. And, and I wanted to draw a picture. I was going to mess things up. I didn't draw a picture. But, uh, but it seems like in this text, actually, the Holy Spirit is using. So the Holy Spirit saves us with saving faith. And then in actuality, when you look at that, then the Holy Spirit uses the saving faith to actually make us more like himself. That, and and that practically makes sense, right? It says we continue to take radical steps of faith by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do things that God wants us to do, and we act like the way God wants us to act, and we live a life of faith in Christ, we actually become more like Jesus. Right? So he's telling them, hey, you're, you're, you're saved, you're, you're sanctified. One more nuance of sanctification. I love this one even better, to be honest, in my own life. So he makes us holy. But I love the concept of sanctification is the concept of set apart. You know, I love that again. You see what he keeps saying? You see what he keeps saying? The sense of ownership. You see, he keeps trying to show you who's your daddy. Not in some weird, like, who's your daddy? But, you know, who's your daddy? He, think about that. I love it. I mean, we, um, we were laughing the other night because, um, who? so we had ice cream, and um, we had bought a bunch of ice cream. I'm sorry, we were, in, we were in Cincinnati. That's what happened. I was trying to remember the story. And we bought up, my friend, when we, when we go to Cincinnati, he always, he knows I love ice cream, so he'll buy all this ice cream. And then they had a, a hangout time for us with all of our friends who came over. And so I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is awesome, all these people over, but they're going to eat all my ice cream. Really nervous. You know how you get selfish. You want to be loving. You want to be Christian and stuff. You're like, man, I really like ice cream. So, so I said, I, you know, I said, Brian, this is awesome. I said, hey, remember the ice cream you bought? I said, remember the mint chocolate chip? Set that apart. That one's mine. Put that in another. You know, put it in the freezer. You know, in a, in, a, in the garage or something. 
And it, it, literally, I, I feel like the Lord just reminded me, like, I, 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 I see this practically. You know what I love? I love that God, when he says that, there's a sense of what I was saying was like, this is special. This is for me. You know what? Do you know God says that about you? Do you know he says that about you? He says, no, 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 no. Now I'm making you holy and I got, I'm getting my glory. But you know what? No, I'm, I'm setting you apart. You're mine. You're mine. You're special. You're, 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 you're for me. These people are for me. The God of the universe says that. He says, I lay hold of them for myself. Special care. This is what God has done for you in Christ. We got to go home, so I'm going to actually skip a little chunk of the, the sanctification piece and the issue of becoming more like Christ. I think it's clear uh, that when we look at the saving faith, believing in, in loving truth, just by the way, that saving faith, you know, people of God, they, they love the truth of God. They want, they want to hear what God has to say, and they want to respond. Um, whether it's in your purity of life, your money, your sex life, professional life, leisure life. He says you're saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth. He goes on in verse 14. He says to this, he called you through the, through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. See that, that, that sense of called in this context here that, that he's called you. He's called you to himself that, that he's, he's, he's made you this believer. He's, 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 he's summoned you as it were. He's brought you into this place through the good news that I just shared the gospel. Isn't it amazing? Think about that. You hear the language again? Ownership language. You hear this language again? The sense of God beckoning you. God doing something that you didn't do. That's that language. You hear it over and over again? It's the, it's the two verses. How many times have we seen this already? You see what he's trying to say here? Remember what I asked you in the beginning? Why does God give us Jesus? Okay? He's beckoning language. Ownership. What is going on here? Think about that as you, I always tell you, put your first century glasses on. What's happening here? We're going to get to it in a brief moment. Just think about that. There are millions of people who, who've had a background just like you. You know, I was, I was at a restaurant and a, and a young lady, was, I, was, I said, hey, um, you know, me and my buddy are Christians. We'd love to pray for you. you have anything you want us to pray for? Uh, I said, do you have, I said, you have a spiritual background? And, she said, no, you know, I just believe, you know, in the sun and the, and she started naming like parts of creation. You know, you know what happened? Me and my, my man, we just, are, we just are sad. And I just thought to myself, like, why am I not talking like that? You think, you think just because you're a family background? Some of you didn't grow up in church. You think because you're smarter than somebody else? You think because you're just a little more humble? You, you know, you're, yeah, you're kind of prideful, but I, but I realized I, was, I needed Jesus. No. Think about that. What made you sitting here right now? See, the doctrine of election, what it does, it beckons you, and you want to ask the question, well, yeah, because you know, I grew up in a family Christian, well, not a family Christian, I'm a Christian home, no. I hope my kids never think just because they had this environment and you know, hopefully we preach the gospel that they're, now they're just supposed to be Christians. You know, how many, you know how many people out here who are just evil as all get out and come from pastoral families? I've met some of them. It's grace. It's God's hand. 
He talks about the sharing in glory, guys, the glory of our Lord Jesus. I'm going to propose to you that, he's, that in this context, he's talking actually about the resurrection, that resurrected body, because this is the whole concept of the day of the Lord. He's reminding them that's what he's been talking about, guys. He's been talking about, hey, you know, one day, you know, God is going to come back, and he's, going to, he's faithful, and he's going to give you a resurrected body, and you're going to, and the heavens and earth are going to come together, and he's going to make all things new. And so even here, he's, he's bringing up that doxa, that glory. He's saying, you will participate in that one day. He's just trying to remind them. So you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first fruits. We saw our Lord Jesus Christ rise from the dead. We saw him in his glorified body. You will be experiencing that, kind of just reminding them again. That's what he's doing there. And he says that in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. I won't read it, but, but I think you understand where I'm going. Here's what's happening here, guys. Why does God say, why does he send Jesus? Right? He loves us. How does he love us? By sending us his son. May I propose to you, here's what's going on. It's an issue of identity. It's an issue of identity. Here's what the world does. How does the world tell you and me, and we're going to go home, I promise. How does the world tell you and me to find our identity? Think about it. Right? Identity is, every, we all are searching for significance. But I would propose no one searches for identity like us in the West, man. We, we're grabbing hold of everything. Man, I, oh, maybe this will make me look better. Oh, if I have a nice pew as a pastor. Oh, maybe if, you know, you know we, we just running around. We're just thinking of like, what can we find our trust and our hope in? Our car, our girlfriend, our wife, our kids, our job, our school our hair, our weight, our shoes, our jacket. I'm an athlete. I wear glasses. I wear contacts. I mean, my ears are cute. My, uh, <laughs> it's amazing to me what we find our identity in. But you know what's sad? Look what, look what Satan's been doing the last, you know, he's been doing this for the whole time. But in my lifetime, I've seen it really big time the last 20 years, where now we have a culture where the way you get your identity is outside community. Usually community kind of affirms what your identity is. Outside of community, you say, here's, I'm going to introspectively say, who am I? And I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to figure out who I am. And then whoever I think I am, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to throw it out to the, to, the, to the world and say, this is who I am, and you need to embrace it. Right? That's how we find our identity now. Can I propose to you? Jesus says something very different. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to do the first, this is the first time ever in my history of preaching. I'm going to give you a movie clip. <laughs> I want you to look at this clip. Let me set it up. Because I think it expresses what, how, how we find our identity as believers. How God wants to find our identity. Um, it's the movie Hoosiers, one of my favorites. And this guy, this dad has been struggling with alcoholism his whole life. He's been an absentee dad. He hasn't hung out. He hasn't done anything for his kid. And throughout the whole movie, he's, he's just, he's a mess. He finally gets a little better. He falls off the deep end, embarrasses the whole team, embarrasses his son. It's a basketball movie. And now he's in a, 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 a rehab hospital feeling like no one loves me. No one cares for me. I have no identity. Okay? So that's who we are. So he's just messed up his life. And now he's about to connect with his son. Keep it on, please. No school in this small has ever been in the state championship. I know. I was coached for a while. I won a big game for him. I was coaching the last two minutes. I took him right down to the wire. I run the picket fence on him, and we won. And my son, my son, he's on. Uh, how you doing, Dad? 
<laughs> conquering hero. I, I heard the game right there on that, that little Philco. And uh, I heard old, old Ollie dribble on his foot and then make that charity shot. And, and I, I started bawling. And they, br they bring the white coats in here and they, they put a jacket on me. Um, I was feeling so good I didn't even mind too much. You doing good? I feel real empty inside, and uh, I have some bad visions. Son, the other night. No, it don't matter, Dad. You're gonna get better. Couple of months when you get out of here, we're gonna get a house. Both of us. I love you, Dad. I gotta get back. Son. Oh, I wish I could be there. Um, I don't want to get emotional, but so do you see do you see how God how, do you see what's happening in the text? you see the difference? The difference is this when do you really when do you really find your identity? You know when you really embrace who you are? It's not when you go inside yourself and say, this is who I am. I want to propose, it's when someone who adores you, and you adore them, and they adore you. It's when someone whom you love loves you back. It's when, it's when someone who, who you affirm affirms you. I want to propose it's in community. See, see, don't you see what's happening in the text here? What God is saying is that you don't need to go outside somewhere else to find your identity. Here's what he's saying throughout the whole text. He's saying, I've given you Jesus, and in giving you Jesus, I'm actually letting you know, hey, you're somebody. I love you. Guess what? This is his boy. His boy hasn't talked to him the whole time. Throughout the movie, he's frustrated with him. He comes in. Do you see his eyes light up when he says, Dad, we're going to get a house? Because he said, oh, as messed up as I am, you're affirming me. Guess what? You have the God of the universe. The most important, most powerful, loving person in all of creation saying, I love you. I adore you. I affirm you. I chose you. I sanctified you. I elected you. So he says, verse 15, if that's the case, if in Christ I am loved and chosen and saved and sanctified and believing and called and glorified. In fact, I want you to say this with me. <laughs> because here's what he's doing in this text. 
He's trying to ratchet in your heart, in my heart. He, he makes all that heavy theology for a reason because he wants them to understand this is all that Jesus has done for us. You want to know how to stand firm? Pause and consider the love of God and what he has done in and for you. I want to propose, don't run to your friends. Don't just necessarily go out and try to self-medicate. I want you to pause and consider what the Lord has done. Consider who God is. When people malign you, when your job doesn't work out right, some of us in this room right now, we're feeling like, man, I'm not significant. And God is saying, no, you're loved. You're chosen. You're saved. You're sanctified. You're believing. You're called. You're glorified. That's what he's doing. All right, family, you want to say it with me? In Christ, I am One more time. In Christ, I am loved, chosen, saved, sanctified, believing, called, glorified. Then he says, verse 15, so then, brother, stand firm. You see that? So then, brother, stand firm. Because of who he is and what he's done, so then, brother, stand firm. Because he's the one that saved you, so then, brother, stand firm. Because he's the one who called you, so then, brother, stand firm. Because he's the one who's loved you. So then, brothers, stand firm. And hold to the traditions that were taught by us, he says, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Just think about verse 13. Think about if he just said verse 15 without verse 13, 14, I'd be like, yikes. Stand firm and, do, and, and, and be who God wants you to be and hold on to the word and all this stuff. No, because of what God has done. He says, verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ. So he ends it. He gives you that truth, family. He says, digest it, believe it, enjoy it. Stand firm. And he ends with a prayer. The prayer is just, hey, I want you to, to embrace what I just shared with you. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. All he did is said the exact same thing in a different way. This is to remind you, to remind me. See what, you see that? He's extracting lies when he's doing this. Don't be worried about what's going to happen in the future. I got this. You have good hope. Feeling that he's feeling it, a resurrected hope. He's saying, no, no, no. I got this. He says, comfort your hearts, verse 17, your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. When you and I want to know how to be firm when things are shaky, Paul right here is saying, I want to entrust them to the Lord. And he says, first, what happens when I entrust you to the Lord, you first have peace within yourself. See what he's doing? He's trying to help you have a significance of Christ. That now you can know, this is who I am. And now because I know who I am, I can know that the church's future is certain in Christ. Verse 16. And therefore, because of that, I can now perform and enjoy these patterns of these cadences, these rhythms of, of disciplines, of prayer and reading the word and experiencing traditions. I can do that now, not in my own flesh, but understanding is by grace and God has done it in me. 
This is a church that stands firm in the face of error and opposition family. Be encouraged. Let's continue to worship through tithe and offering. Um, and then we'll go home, okay? If you are, are new here, um, this is our time where we do our tithe and offering. We want to ask that you keep your purses and your wallets to your side. We don't, we're not trying to...